بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد continuing with the discussion of the shamail of nabi kareem sallallahu alaihi wasallam from this kitab shamail al muhammadiyah this is a hadith that is narrated by hazrat hasan bin ali radhiyallahu ta'ala an and he narrates from his brother hazrat husain radhiyallahu ta'ala an he in turn narrates from his father hazrat sayyidina ali radhiyallahu ta'ala an Ali radiallahu anhu reports regarding Nabi Karim sallallahu alaihi wasallam he is mentioning various aspects about the mubarak personality of Nabi Karim sallallahu alaihi wasallam so he starts off by saying kana rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam daim al-bishr Nabi Karim sallallahu alaihi wasallam was always smiling now this is the kamal of Nabi Karim sallallahu alaihi wasallam that everything was at its peak with complete balance now on the one hand it's fill in the gap on the one hand it is mentioned in the hadith sharif regarding the nabi karim sallallahu alaihi wasallam that mutawassil al ahzan daim al fikra that his condition was such that he was mutawassil al-ahzan forever perpetually in grief meaning concern worry and daim al-fikra is actually that perpetual concern so the grief was about obviously that the condition of people is inviting them to allah taala how they are responding what is their condition where they heading to and how to try and bring them to deen and this wasn't the concern for one two individuals it was the concern for every single human person in every living being until the day of qiyamah so who can imagine what was the level of that and the level of that was so much that allah taala himself consoled nabi kareem sallallahu alaihi wasallam in the quran sharif لَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعٌ نَفْسَكَ عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ إِلَّمْ يُؤْمِنُوا بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَسَفًا That out of the severe sorrow over them not accepting deen, it seems like you'll annihilate yourself, you'll destroy yourself. In other words, Allah Ta'ala was consoling Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you don't have to go to this extent of grief over them. So that was one part of him. And at the same time, the other side that is being mentioned here now is, دَعِمَ الْبِشْرِ he was forever smiling always smiling so now this is that balance that one was the natural concern which nabi akram sallam had in his mubarak heart and that grief and the worry for the ummah and taking on the difficulties of everybody on himself apart from the concern of people's deen even people's other worldly problems and difficulties and hardships he took everybody's problem on himself when nabi akram sallallahu alaihi returned after the first wahi and he came very very he was trembling because of the first encounter jibril sallallahu alaihi had never had this occasion prior to that having seen an angel of allah taala and jibril sallallahu alaihi came in his original form and uh, 
on this occasion, <coughs> the Nabi Sallallahu returned home straight from Ghari Hira, he came to Sayyidah Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And he said to her, لَقَدْ خَشِيتُ عَلَىٰ نَفْسِي I actually feared for my life. One was when Jibi Sallallahu Alaihi embraced him very tightly three times. Can we imagine the embrace of an angel? And that might have been that moment when he feared for his life. Or when this task and responsibility now was placed upon him. So he feared whether I will be able to take on this, which is such a gigantic task. Sayyidah Khadija, she consoled Nabi Karim Now, this was divinely inspired words. She, this is the, there was no ta'aleem of any sort yet. Nabi Sallallahu came straight from Ghari Hira, just received the word. And she is consoling him, Innaka kalla, Never, Allah will never allow disgrace to come upon you. You are worried about whether you can manage this. Not managing it is failure. Failure is disgrace. Allah will never allow this to happen to you. A person can end up giving his life for Allah Ta'ala. That is the highest form of success. But giving up, I can't manage it, that is failure. Allah will never allow that to happen to you. And why not? And then she gives the various reasons for it. And in the reason, she highlights his noble qualities. Again, it brings us back to the same subject, the subject of the akhlaq of Nabi Karim sallallahu That Allah Ta'ala blessed him with the most noble akhlaq and at its peak. وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ So on that occasion also, she mentions various things. إِنَّكَ لَتَصِلُ الرَّحِيمٍ Top of the list, she says, you are the one who goes out of your way to maintain family relationships. Subhanallah, these are the things that save a person from problems, from difficulties, from hardships, from disgrace in dunya. And now, whereas this was still, Nabi Salaam himself didn't teach these aspects as part of deen, because the first wahi only came still. But this was already in his life. This was something that he was living. And living not just in a very, uh, by the way manner, these were highlights in his Mubarak life. So therefore, when this was now such a crucial moment, Sayyidah Khadija is bringing forward these highlights. You have these such prominent qualities in your life. rahim. So first she mentioned on the top of the list, you are the one who goes out of your way to maintain family relationships. And then the second thing she mentioned was tahmilul kal. Many other things mentioned, but just on this point this came to mind. tahmilul kal, we said he took on everybody's problems. This is what she mentioned on this occasion. Tahmilul Kal, you take on the burdens of people. Sometimes, <laughs> let alone somebody who's now overstepping the mark, or now doing something that is now not in order, etc. But sometimes somebody may be close, somebody near and dear, but now they have some issue. So the kind of statement that comes sometimes on the tongue is, don't make your problem my problem. Commonly heard, don't make your problem my problem. But Nabi Wasallam's personality was such, he made everybody's problem his problem. And he went out of his way to take care of whatever he could do for whoever he could. In every aspect. So in any case, uh, so on the one hand, coming back to where we started off, that Nabi Wasallam, his heart was brimming with this concern, 
full of this grief over what's going on with people, how they are rejecting and where they're ending up. But together with that, that did not take away his smile. Now this Kamal, sometimes a person comes home and now there's a, a problem. No, no, I had a very stressful day. Because of the stressful day, just stay out of my way. Nobody must come in front of me now. So the stress was somewhere else. The stress was back at work. But now because of that, everybody must remain stressed back at home. No? And somebody else gave him grief in the workplace. So now he needs some place to offload it. So he finds his own home to offload it on his wife and children. Now this might sound just like some hypothetical things. These are very unfortunate and sad realities. Yeah, these situations that come up now, some, once now there was some issue of this nature, so the person now is being asked now, why you do this? So he, his response was, but it's my right to now offload my stress. I got some lot of stress that I brought along from work. So it's my right to offload it somewhere. So now he found it very convenient to offload it on. So why didn't you offload it on your boss then? You should, you need it. It's your right to offload it somewhere. So then where it came from, you should offload it in the same place. Why you didn't take a chance there? Because you'll probably lose your job. Or you'll, something else will happen. So there you decided, no, no, this is not the right place to offload. But on the week, those who can't now probably defend themselves or are just, just have to subdue themselves. So you find it convenient to come and now offload there. Is that insaniyat? Is that even humanity? Let alone what the akhlaq that Deen taught us, is that even basic humanity? So now coming back to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, despite this severe grief within him, but that he kept within him. He kept within him and it was so, so intense that it is mentioned in the Hadith Sharif that this would be heard from his Mubarak chest. Azizun ka azizil mirjal yusma'u min al That out of this, a person standing close by would hear a sound coming from his Mubarak chest like the boiling of a kettle. Now that was the intensity of this. But if he had to make that visible, people around him won't be able to then take any benefit. People around would also be in that grief. They won't be able to manage anything. So for the comfort of people around him, he kept this within and he smiled for them. He kept this grief inside, he expressed it on occasion, but the general condition was that he met with people and he interacted with them smilingly. Hazrat Jareed bin Abdullah Bajari radiallahu ta'ala he says that there was never an occasion when I came face to face with Nabiya Kareem wasalam, but that he always smiled at me. Now, this is a great sunnah of Nabiya Kareem as mentioned yesterday that there are sunnahs pertaining to the external self, sunnahs pertaining to the internal self, there are sunnahs pertaining to various day-to-day actions, so many things, every aspect of life. So we should be trying. Now certain things may perhaps be something we are practicing on, something we not yet managing to do. Certain things the mashayikh say we shouldn't try. We shouldn't try but we should feel the sorrow in our hearts that we are unable to do it. For example, once in one Khan Kaon Buzrug, this 
suddenly it became overwhelming in him that we are not eating the kind of food that Nabi Karim Salaam consumed. We are very far behind in this. So we should also try to do the same. So he gave the instruction to the cook that you're going to try to emulate exactly what the kind of bread was. You can't get it exact but as close as possible the kind of bread that Nabi Karim Salaam used to eat. And the bread that they would eat was made out of coarse barley. Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha once later in time when things had become a little bit easier and more comfortable. So she was asked about the bread of Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So she said the bread, bread was out of Bali. Now Bali itself is hard. So it used to be crushed. So now she was asked if you'll have sieves at that time. Now normally with that Bali now after crushing it, then it will be sifted. So now with the sifting, the coarse particles, the shell etc. that will get left from the top and the whatever was ground, the flour will then fall through and then that will be used to bake the bread. But that too would not be as fine as wheat flour. Wheat was not available. That was something beyond their capacity. So it was barley. So barley itself is coarse. It's hard. The shell is hard. Now it has to be crushed. So she was asked if you'll have sieves. So she said we never even saw sieves in that time. So then the question naturally came, but then how you all went about making the bread? Because then it means how you're going to separate the hard particles from the crushed flour. It's all mixed up. So she replied, we would just blow into it. Now those hard particles, but nevertheless are very light, because now after crushing, so now it's very light. So now when blowing into it, some of it will blow, some of it will fly away. The flour will remain, some of those cause part, but how much? some of it and then she says the rest will just be mixed in and the bread will be baked with it so in other words it was very hard bread because all these hard particles also and it's to start off with barley flour so itself is not as soft as wheat flour so now this was the kind of bread that the Vyakarim Salaam sufficed on meaning the, in our understanding the lowest quality of bread Sometimes a person is selecting the kind of bread that you sometimes is like bread is almost like cake. But now this we might say the lowest quality of bread, not not even what we can call nowadays the lowest quality. That what we call lowest quality was very high quality compared to that. But in any case now, this was the kind of bread that Nabi Karim Salaam consumed. So this Buruk he said to the cook, please you gonna try and make it as close to as possible as that. So he did as told. The next day, almost everybody was now sick. Their stomachs couldn't handle it. Because they were never used to this kind of... So he made istighfar. When he was informed that everybody is now... This is... They ate the bread, but now they can't manage it. So he made istighfar on this. Istighfar that we tried to do something that we thought we are capable of. Whereas we are incapable of that. That is now beyond our capacity. So we will make istighfar on that. But we will still do all the things that are within our capability and capacity. So the thing was that Nabi Wasallam, all his sunnahs, the sunnahs pertaining to day-to-day life, whatever external, internal, all we are trying, we, we are to try and emulate whatever we can. Now some things, as mentioned, are maybe even beyond our capacity. But there are some things like smiling, for example. So what's the difficulty about smiling? The only difficulty, the only problem is 
Not that we don't smile, but unfortunately often the smile is only sometimes in the wrong place. So now when that customer came, so now we can't be rude to the customer. That's the time we realized that. Forgot about it, we, can't, we shouldn't be rude to the wife also. But he remembered now, mustn't be rude to the customer. Because the customer means money, that's all. So dunya, for dunya, then we'll smile. But that place where we are to smile, we forget, forget about it. Oh, this person is too tired smiling outside now, so he can't, jaws are paining now. So now he needs to relax the jaws now. So now he's only grumpy inside. This was the Kamal of Nabiya Kareem Wasallam. He smiled at everyone. At home and outside. Obviously we have to be conscious about that <coughs> since we touched on this, so now there's interaction with people, so there's no, it's not necessary to be abrupt and rude with people, but we should never compromise the lines of deen. One person once mentioned that now, he says I have to deal with, uh, he was a rep, now I go all the places, now many times the buyers, he says a woman, in some companies and so on, I have to interact with them, he says, as soon as I get there, the first thing is now they stick their hand out to shake their hand. So now he was as thinking now that if he does not comply and shake the hand as well, so now this will, will maybe also be regarded as uh, rude or something. And then besides that now, if he's going to be regarded as rude, it might mean losing the order. That's where he finishes off. It all comes down at the end of the day to whether this will make monetary sense or not. He says, well, this is what I was carrying on with. So in any case, I advised him that that is mahrams, only mahrams, own mahrams, that's all. You explain to them that. He said, look, this is out of respect. It's not out of any other thing. So sometime later, we happen to meet again. He says, I can't tell you what an impact this has had. See, there were several of them told me we never could imagine that this could be the reason that somebody won't shake hands with us out of respect for us. Because somebody else's wife, somebody else's daughter, we shouldn't be touching them. Now this is that many times there's an opportunity to give somebody the ta'alim of deen. Sometimes we'll do it, but we won't use it as an opportunity of da'wat. Person did the right thing, alhamdulillah. Now sometimes people ask, but now, hey, mashallah, you know, I'm, I'm so pleased you did this. So we just take it as our own doing, finish it, end of story. Like my achievement. That's the time to say, no, this is what my religion has taught me. My noble prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has taught me this. This teaching has come from him. This is not something I could have imagined myself. This is his beautiful teaching. That will become a dawah to deen. And really, till we don't make any occupation, business, whatever profession we're involved in, we don't create the mindset that this too must become Dawud. This is not just making money. It's not just earning a halal living is an obligation. Making lots of money is not an obligation. Earning a halal living is an obligation. But whatever Allah blesses in that moderate effort, somebody will get something much more, somebody less, whatever Allah has decreed, but the, the mindset must be that this too must become Dawud. And if that becomes a mindset, 
then there will be a very different approach to everything. Then a person won't mind sometimes losing a few rands if that will be a means of saving or bringing somebody closer to deen. And if that mindset is not there, then he'll die for a few rands, even if in the process he'll turn people away from deen. How he'll go about it, and what kind of languages he'll use, and what not will happen. So, there are times when things have to be, the line has to be drawn, there are times when things have to be dealt with a little bit firmly, whatever. But if the mindset, if the mindset is that this must become Dawat, so now somebody has done something, some subordinate has done something, made a mistake, so now there's different ways about how to handle that. But now one way, for example, now it's the first time around the person made that mistake, so rather than now just come down upon him in a manner of now abusing him and humiliating him, degrading him, etc. I sat him down, said, look, this was not right, this wasn't order, you're not supposed to have done that. You see, we have been taught in our religion that look, if a person made a mistake, the first time around at least, then overlook it and teach him. So this is the what I am now practicing on. So I am overlooking it because this is the teaching of my deen. This is the teaching of my Nabi Wasallam. But now, if this is going to carry on every other day, then it's going to be difficult for me to carry on with you. We have to now then maybe have to make some call somewhere. But now this was the first time around. So it doesn't matter now. It's behind us but look this is how it's to be done now we corrected the wrong but we showed him the akhlaq of deen at the same time and we told him where it's coming from not that I am somebody this is my achievement, you see how I dealt with you not me, I am nobody if it wasn't the teaching of my Nabi Wasallam, I would have known nothing we would have all been in the bush so to attribute that goodness from where it came and that Allah knows best sometimes might become the Dawat of Deen. My Marhum brother, over time, there are about four people that worked as domestics in his home. And every one of them accepted Islam. Every one of them, without fail, who, in fact, whoever worked, one, somebody worked as a domestic in the Madrasa, she accepted Islam. And in his home, whoever accepted worked as a domestic, all accepted Islam. Once one person mentioned to me, that was shortly after the Maha passed away, some 6-8 months later, so he had asked somebody to do some, some tiling or something, whatever. So he brought somebody along, so that person was now busy with the work, he came to check on him. Uh, he saw something, whatever, so he said what he wanted to say and how he wanted to say it and he went away. In any case, the job was taking a couple of days to complete. So after one, two days later, he had come again to now check again what's going on. So that time when he came, he says he probably was in a better mood. So he spoke to him in a very, a little bit of friendly way. The person believed his work, just in a gentle manner, spoke to him in a friendly way. Not a Muslim person, just Tyler, whoever he was, wasn't a Muslim person. But now the second time round, when he spoke to him in that little bit friendly way, so after a while, this person says, turned around to him, he told me himself, this person turned around to him, and he said to him, today you're talking like Maulana Yunus Patel. Now he might have 
done some work for Maulana somewhere sometime. This was six, six, eight months later after Hazrat Maha passed away. But that had such a deep impact on him. Now somebody else is talking first how to give that person the lesson. Person now without Iman. But he is giving him a lesson in a very subtle way. In a very... Because he probably due to his interaction, come to know that Mona is a very highly regarded person in the whole community, so this person too surely knows him, or knew him. So now in a very nice way, he gave him a very big lesson. So now, sometimes people sound like they, you know, they don't know what's going on in life, but they can give some very nice lessons in a very good way too. So he gave him a very big lesson, but in a very nice way. But now that's the thing to always bear in mind, that people are taking things from us, from our words, from our actions, from our manner, from the way we handle things, in the workplace especially, out on the street, on the road, how we're driving, how we are reacting to people's bad driving. They are not familiar with us as individuals. This person is so-and-so, he comes from here, he comes from there, but they can see a Muslim. So all they know is they are interacting with a Muslim. And then the wrong thing that happens, that people make generalized statements thereafter. When we do something wrong, they make a generalized statement about Muslims. So we were the advert for Islam at that time. But what kind of advert? What kind of conduct we displayed? That is the impression that got left in his heart. Uh, he makes a blanket judgment on Muslims based on our action. See, this is how these Muslims, be, these Muslims, that's the general wrong manner of which people then, and on the flip side of it, if we did the right thing, then he makes a generalized statement for Muslims also. These Muslims, this is the good way that they do things. So that action of ours, he doesn't know who we are. We, one minute later, or half minute later, two will be out of his sight. He won't know where we came from and where we went. But the impression that will be left in his mind is something positive about Islam and Muslims. So now, if that is the mindset that my actions, my words, my deeds, my transactions, my way of dealing with people all must become dawad and must become a means of invitation to deen, then it will become easy to overlook many things. It will become easy to ignore the person who has driven in a bad way and cut in front of us and irritated us. We won't be sitting on the hooter then. It will become easy to uh, dismiss many, many things. And not just dismiss many things, it will become easy to react positively to negativity. So, Coming back to this aspect that was being discussed here, فَقَالَ كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ Nabi used to be forever smiling. Now, this is that Kamal we said, that he balanced everything out. On the one side, what was within, that grief that was bubbling, that was contained within. But that wasn't allowed to just pull out all the time. Because people around them, how are they going to handle this and manage it? They'll be all the time crying then. Then home will be a place of grief all the time. People around will be all the time. So in order to keep people comfortable, 
Nabi Islam contained this within him. That would have been an added pressure, obviously. But he contained this within himself and he dealt with everybody in a very happy way, very smilingly. Now, this is at Kamal. He adopted humility at the highest level. But that humility, though he adopted the humility at the highest level, he didn't go about it in a way that he brought any humiliation upon himself. This is that balance. To be humble doesn't mean that one must bring humiliation upon himself. That he goes about things in a way that people now start finding him odd and start looking down upon him. That too is not correct. He maintained his respect at the highest level together with being the most humble person. These are things which sometimes we fail to balance out. Sometimes a person now, if he's now trying to so-called maintain his respect, he's becoming haughty and proud. He's now then looking down upon others. He's trampling people's rights. He's now maintain self-respect. Maintaining self-respect is not looking down upon others. Maintaining self-respect is simply conducting oneself within the limits of respectability. But not in a way that others are treated badly or others are looked down upon in any way. And being humble doesn't mean that now a person brings disgrace upon himself. Being humble it happens within the limits of keeping one's respect. So this was the Kamal and the, the excellence in the Nabiya Kareem wasallam that he maintained. He was generous to the point that nobody could match him. But that generosity didn't have anything to do with Israf at the same time. Now this is a very fine line to be extremely generous and not to fall into Israf. But that was the Kamal of Nabi Sallallahu That his generosity was unmatched, especially in the month of Ramadan. Hazrat uh, Aisha Radhi describes Nabi Sallallahu that his generosity at all times was at the peak. But when the month of Ramadan came, then Jibreel would come and recite the Quran Sharif to him. And Nabi Sallallahu would recite the Quran to Jibreel This is the, the basis of what we understand as Dor reciting to one another. This is the sunnah of Nabi Islam and Jibreel Salatu Wasalam. That reciting to one another started off from there. So as Aisha says, when Jibreel Salatu Wasalam would come and meet with Nabi Islam, then his generosity would be like a fast moving wind. That wind doesn't leave anything, it touches everything. So, Karihil Mursala. That wind that just doesn't let anything miss it. So in any case, that generosity was so so far. He gave when he had, he gave when he didn't have also. That is the height of the generosity. That there were times when people came and asked, I have nothing. What you do is you go and buy it on credit from so and so. Tell him when I have something, I will pay it back. He gave when he had. And he even gave what he didn't have. But that generosity, despite being at that highest level, it still didn't have anything to do with any level of israf. Now, this, this balancing of all the issues, this is not something that happens so easily. It's something to be learned. Many things we take the time and effort to learn.
These are things also to be learned, learned in the company of the Mashaikh, etc. And learning how to keep this balance in all different aspects. Otherwise the person sometimes goes on one end and forgets the other side. There's, sometimes we forget the priorities and we are doing something else, having forgotten the priorities. What is being done is good. But at the expense of the priority, then that doesn't become good then. The priority is first, then that's next in line. So now there are so many times things happen where the balance is not maintained. So this is the lesson that we get from here. This is all stemming out of this discussion that Nabi Wasallam on the one side his heart was bubbling with this grief, this concern and who can imagine once when Hazrat Abbas he noticed some grey hair in the beard of Nabi Wasallam at the last part of his Mubarak life as well when he passed away there were barely some 20, less than 20 grey hair in the beard and Mubarak head of Nabi Salaam all put together. Barely some 20. Some say it was 14, some 16, 17, 18. Obviously, depending on the time somebody counted, it's not something that will always be visible to the same extent all the time. Some gets covered sometimes, something. But that was the maximum. It didn't exceed 20. It was Nahwam min Ashreen, approximately 20. They didn't even actually reach 20. But on one occasion, as Abbas noticed one or two grey hair, so he asked Nabi Sallallahu that Qad Shifta, seems you're getting old, some grey hair appearing. So Nabi Sallallahu replied and said, Shay Yabatni Hudun wa Akhawatuha. Surah Hud and the like similar surahs have made me old. Surah Hud and other similar surahs have made me old. So what is described in Surah Hud and other surahs of this nature? So one explanation of this is in Surah Hud, there is an ayat of the Qur'an Sharif. فَاسْتَقِمْ كَمَا أُمِرْتَ وَمَنْ تَابَ مَعَكَ You also remain totally steadfast. وَمَنْ تَابَ مَعَكَ And your entire ummah also keep them steadfast. So staying steadfast himself, that was Nabi Wasallam was at the peak of steadfastness as well. Istiqamad, who can even imagine? But now how to keep this entire ummah steadfast? That made him old. And some explain that together with this, in these surahs, there's a lot of the description of Qiyamad, of those aspects that will come after death, etc. Qiyamad. So now that became this that made a person, when a, once a person went to sleep, he was completely black, beard, hair, etc., completely black. In the dream, he dreamt about the cover. Some, Allah knows best what extent, he dreamt about meeting the angel of death or dreamt about cover, perhaps meeting the angel of death. But that became such an, it took such an effect on him when he woke up. He was already completely white. Went to sleep, completely still black. But that in his dream had such an impact on him that he woke up, all his hair turned white already. Now, can we imagine that the level of consciousness that Nabi Salaam had and then he saw these realities, Allah Ta'ala showed it to him on the occasion of Mi'raj. So now when these ayat were revealed, so what impact it would have had on his Mubarak heart, but the the 
capacity that he had that all this will barely turn some less than 20 hair white. This was Allah Ta'ala's grace on him that nobody should ever find this to be, though this itself in one hadith it's mentioned as nur. It's a nur of a mu'min. When Ibrahim noticed some white hair, he asked, what is this? Allah said, this is the nur. He said, Allah give me more of it. But Nabi Sallallahu was protected from it so that nobody who may in their own mind feel something negative about it should ever feel anything negative about Nabi Sallallahu But in any case, this is the point that on the one side, this was the extent to which he contained all this. But at the same time, his akhlaq. It all comes down back to the akhlaq. That for the sake of the comfort of people around. This is coming back to that definition of akhlaq that we discussed yesterday or the day before that what is akhlaq all about dealing with the makhluk in a way that the khalik becomes happy Allah Ta'ala becomes pleased so now Allah becomes pleased when we make people around comfortable obviously everything within the limits of shariat make people comfortable so now to deal with them in a way that one smiles a smile has an impact you smile at somebody the person is down and out too he starts feeling a little bit cheered and if somebody is feeling cheerful too and somebody comes with a very grieved face in front of them, that person's cheer goes away also. Somebody starts crying, another person might start crying too. He doesn't even know what this person is crying about. But just somebody crying starts bringing him to tears. So to keep everybody comfortable, this was akhlaq. And this was the akhlaq that Nabi Islam displayed, that despite what was within him, he kept everybody happy around him. He kept everybody comfortable. This by keeping, by smiling at them, and this too is a sunnah, it's a very important sunnah. Especially when entering the home, the sunnah of Nabi Wasallam to enter with salam, enter smilingly. That is the start of everything. person enters, he comes in, he comes in with that manner, where he forgets to smile, forgets to make salam, and then he's received in that manner also. So then, that's the start to things, and then from there he finishes off. So Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq, that we take these lessons along, we bring this into our life, and as mentioned yesterday also, many of these aspects are such, there's no time that has to be expended for it separately. It's just happening in the course of things. The person is walking into his home, but he's walking smilingly. What, what extra effort it required? What money was spent to undertake it? Now a person is sometimes wanting to fulfill certain aspects of deen, now it's going to mean going somewhere, doing something. Here there's, it's happening in the course of what is taking place in any case. But with the right mindset. Hazrat Abdul Hay Arifi, very great personality, he was a Khalifa, he is the author of the very wonderful kitab which is translated in English as well, Uswai Rasul Akram, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It is something that every one of us should uh, undertake a very thorough study of. So, mashallah, this was his jazbah of sunnah and his ishq for Nabi Wasallam that prompted him to even compile this kitab. So, he wants, as a way of encouragement to others around him, because now when a person has muhabbat for someone, then now they hear he's doing something, he just has a better impact. So as a form of encouragement to them, he said, look, I, for a period of time, I trained myself to refresh my intention before everything and make the right intention and if something I had to do it so to make the intention that I'm going to do this now 
because this is the sunnah way of doing it. So I'm going to do it in emulation of the Mubarak sunnah of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He says, I trained myself in this to such an extent that when I would come home and normal situation, especially if there's a little child in the home, so he says, the child now, my child would see me coming into the house, the child would run to me. So natural fatherly instincts, you know, grab the child, pick the child up, child now two years, three years old. So you see at that time, it just, everything else gets forgotten, the person just now, out of that fatherly love now, just grabs the child. He says, but even at that time, I just put a pause on that natural fatherly instinct, and I reminded myself, there were times when Nabi Salaam would come, and Hazrat Hussain, Hazrat Hassan, his, grand, his grandsons would run to him, he would lovingly pick them up. I am going to now pick my child up in emulation of Nabi Sallallahu so I did the same thing. I did what I was going to do in any case. And that would have happened just out of fatherly love, which is fine. But not going to bring the reward of sunnah. But now that this pause took place for a moment, and this was refreshed in the mind, she is then, after this training over time, this became natural. There wasn't even a need to stop to now remind oneself. Like a person, mashallah, he takes care to make sure that he is walking into the masjid with the right foot. He is leaving with the left foot. So initially now, it's a little bit of, sometimes he realizes after now first taking the first step, he realizes he made a mistake. So he'll take that reverse step also. That is when the soul then gets inculcated. He realized he did the wrong thing. Now go back outside. Go back and come with the right foot. Then after having done this a couple of times, this will start to after a while, then it becomes natural. person doesn't need to stop to think. So likewise, all these aspects to now give it our attention, it requires just some attention, just to develop that attention on that occasion. And that now helps to then do that amal in the sunnah manner, knowing obviously what's the correct way to do it. And every action then becomes ibadat. Every action brings tremendous barakah, tremendous nur. And it connects us to Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala connects us to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That is after all our objective. Allah ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alayhi Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu. Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu. Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu. Allahumma la nuhsi thana'an alayhik. أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم وعنت الوجوه للحي القيوم يا أحدا صمدا لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد جز الله عنا نبينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهله ربنا علمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين اللهم افتح لنا بالخير واختم لنا بالخير واجعل عواقب أمورنا بالخير بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير ربنا لا تؤاخذنا إن نسينا وأخطأنا ربنا ولا تحمل علينا إسرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واخفل لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين اللهم آت نفوسنا تقواها
ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذكرياتنا قرة أعين وجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار ربنا وآتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة إنك لا تخلف النعاد اللهم ثبتنا على الإيمان وأبتنا على الإيمان وحشرنا يوم القيامة مع الإيمان اللهم اغفر لأمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم ارحم أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم تجاوز عن أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم اهدي أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم أصلح أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم فرج الكرب عن أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم اهدنا واهدبنا واجعلنا سببا لمن اهتدى اللهم اهدنا سجميعا اللهم اهدنا سجميعا اللهم اهدنا سجميعا اللهم اجعلنا هداة مهتدين غير ضالين ولا مضلين اللهم انا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شرب السعادك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وأصحابه معين والحمد لله